I think that it's that repetition is really important to constructing a like a well thought out worldview of being able to take the little pieces and details of various things and put them together and and come up with a, a framework for like oh this is the way that the world works. Welcome to Noah Kagan presents. What up, everyone? It's your boy Checkmate, aka Rabbi Can't Lose a.k.a. Noah Kagan. This is an episode I actually recorded about two months ago, and it's impacted me ever since then. I've actually re-listened and re-edited the show four times because of this episode, and you're going to learn why inside. So when I started the episode, my energy level was pretty low, but afterwards I was just like crazy energized. I had my brain going. And the guest today is with David Cadavy. I've known him 12 years. Uh, he's the host of Love Your Work podcast and Cadavy.net. He basically is the uh, bastard child of Malcolm Gladwell making love to a pixel. He thinks really deep about things. So some of the things that we talked about that I'm excited to share with you uh, is how, why I'd listen to this podcast, these episodes specifically over and over and over again, and how that creates mastery. The difference between being a hobbyist versus a professional and how David prepares for his own podcast and some of the weird <laughs> things he does, uh, how he is a weirdo and how he embraces that. So this is an amazing episode. I look forward to you enjoying it. Have fun. How how often do you listen to your own shows? All the time. I re-listen. Uh, I just actually re-listened to almost all my episodes. And, I, and, and actually, before I do an intro after an interview, I listen to the episode a few different times. Listen to it over and over again. I'm, I'm a big fan of repetition. I think there's, this is like a thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately is that I think there's like potential to get an edge through repetition because everybody is like constantly trying to consume new things. There's all these new things being thrown in their face. And if you like repeat the things that are good, there's only so many things that are good. Like you've talked about this before. If a, if a book is really good, read it over and over again. You know, I, I can watch Kirby Enthusiasm a million times over. I was rewatching uh, Breaking Bad with my parents recently. And like, since I've been studying story and stuff, I see it with totally new eyes. I can see more details to it. And I think that it's that repetition is really important to constructing a, like a well thought out worldview of being able to take the little pieces and details of various things and put them together and, and come up with a, a framework for like, Oh, this is the way that the world works, which I happen to think is like the, the secret ingredient to doing anything notable. Not that I'm necessarily an authority on that, well, what but is, what I trust that someday. <laughs> There's a whole debate about what makes them an authority. I like where you're going with the repetition thing. That is very true. Like, I think I've gotten kind of worse at that over the years where I'm like, I want novelty more than repetition. But I think mm -hmm. to your point, like repetition creates mastery, right? Yeah. It's, I think it's, it's a good reminder to, to hear that from you. And also, cause like, I think I've done a few of these shows. I think I've done like 10 so far and I haven't listened to one. I listened to like half of one. And I do think going back and listening, I'll be like, all right, that was bad. This was good. And then being able to like perfect the craft versus like, I don't think you can really master anything if you're just touching the surface. So you're, when you're talking about shows that you've been listening to, you're talking about shows that you have recorded and been, been recording that you've been interviewing people or yeah, recording, like either recording myself. Like I recorded this one myself and I was like, all right, I'm done. And I was like, well, are you really done? Or could you have like, people gave me feedback and I could have done it over again and made it even better. And I think I need to commit more to that. I mean, I think, I think there's endless complexity to it. I think that this can go to, to the point of uh, being obsessed about something and not really getting the returns on it. But 
I took voice lessons. I've taken improv classes. I've taken acting classes. Before this, I spent 15 minutes or so watching videos on YouTube that helped me um, warm up my voice and stretch out my body and like get ready to, to talk because podcasting is talking and you have to have that brain, mouth, voice connection going on to make good tape. I think, you know, you can obsess over it endlessly, but I, I like to think that results in better, a better quality product. Do you, th- w- w- which thing on YouTube do you listen to? I can send you the, the, the link. It is um, with some, like some national theater in England. And then I also have a, a, an audio clip from a voice lesson class that I took in, in Chicago. And so I use that to warm up as well. And that was actually a, sing- that was actually a singing class. What's an example of like a warm up? So I think to start off with, um, to start off with just like an mm is, is good. That helps get some force going behind your voice without stressing your vocal folds too much. Because, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people will talk with a talk like this and not like, they're not even really like bringing air through their vocal folds and they're just talking and they're rushing and they're just like running out of air and they're gasping for air and they never breathe. But talking really is, is allowing air to expel through your vocal folds as you are manipulating them to make the sounds that you're making. And there's a lot, there's, you know, there's people who they dedicate their life to studying and teaching voice. And I think that that's why ignore that element. That's like a, a great place to subtly stand out if, if you can, if you can bear yourself to be interested in it. You know, like I say, again, it's, it's very easy to get obsessed over things. There's this uh, information bias where think people think they always need more information when usually action is a better way to go. The way I see it, 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 it it, it certainly hasn't made my podcasting worse than it would have been otherwise. I'm not, I don't, I don't consider myself a, a, um, an off the cuff in the moment improv- improvisational person. So it's at least strengthened that element of me that is probably one of my weaknesses. What do you think your strength is? I think my strength is thinking about it quietly, thinking about things quietly and analyzing them and then. Uh, digesting it into some sort of a communicatable or communicable, is that a disease or anyway, communicatable <laughs> package, you know, like with design for hackers, breaking down design, explaining it methodically and some sort of a, uh, constructing a framework through which to understand it. I think that's something that I'm probably good at for one reason or another. When do you make time to do that? You just like sit in the morning? Oh, dude, I can't believe you're drinking vodka. It's crazy. I I don't, I don't run a whole business like you do with a bunch of people. This is, this is, this is my job. It's an interesting Um, way of looking at it. I get up in the morning and I'm, I'm writing, I'm writing before I even get out of bed, before I'm even conscious. I'm, I'm like thinking about blog posts and, you know, thinking about problems and solutions for how to communicate certain things. And then I get up and then I, you know, do my meditation or whatever. And I write and I write right away and I wear earplugs and I live in a furnished apartment. So I don't have to worry about furniture. And, you know, like this is my job. This is what I, I do. And I think that that's something that it's taken me a, a little while to learn that. But I know that at least like when Design for Hackers first happened and, and uh, there were all these opportunities to build businesses around it. I was, I was like, well... I still want to get better at like explaining this stuff and that's going to take time. And that's, that's a priority for me over say scaling it up into some kind of a business. What do you mean? Like I could, 
I have courses and such, but I could, I could be pushing a lot harder on that sort of thing to build courses and to build this, you know, sort of institute for teaching people design and training people on design. But that's not, um, I, I've discovered over time, that's not the thing that, that makes me tick. Like I like to think quietly about things and, and then write about them and have conversations like these and take what I learned from them and try to integrate that into my understanding of the world and, and, and communicate those ideas to people and hopefully open up their brains to seeing things in a different way. It's interesting, I guess, because when I do a lot of the things that I do, I do, I like, it's, it, I guess it's just different personalities, but it doesn't mean it's not changeable. Like I like doing it one time. Yeah. Like I'm doing stand-up comedy tonight. You're doing like, tonight? Yeah. Oh, wow. I saw that on your list. You're, you're not wasting any time. No. I have, I've had jokes for a long time and I finally organized them, but I haven't really, for me, it's like after I do the joke one time, I'm like, that's it. But I think there is something there and I have done presentations. Like I did three presentations last year that were like the best I've ever done. And I spent a lot of time like reviewing them, doing them, reviewing them, doing them. And I don't, I think I need to kind of revisit that a little bit more. Like I did these jokes and like they, it could totally bomb. I, I feel similarly about, about, you know, repetition and novelty, you know, like I've got a webinar that I do and uh, I've done it twice now. And the second time was like pulling teeth. It was just so hard to motivate myself to be interested in doing it. But for myself, the solution for that is to just try to one, give myself a chance to be in the moment with it so that maybe something interesting and serendipitous will happen, but also to give myself new details to pay attention to that will keep it interesting, that'll help give me a chance to keep improving. I mean, we talked about this in our last conversation on the podcast about continuous improvement with your, your webinars and stuff. Yeah, and they kept and, getting, and you talked about reading the same book over and over again. So I'm kind of surprised that it's not. Well, yeah, it's funny because I have actually read the same book. So like, I literally read this book over. Here's the one on my table. Like, you can see like a sales I, machine. I remember you talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like a bunch of notes and shit. You can see. I guess maybe it does. I don't know if it has to apply to all aspects of life. I think of it like movies and TV shows, and like, do you still like after I watch a movie? I'm like, I generally won't watch it again. But then I'm thinking about it now out loud. Like, if it's a music song, I'll put a music song on repeat for days. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. But with a movie, a lot of times it's like, hey, you want to go watch a movie again? Like, you're like, what's your favorite movie? That one? You want to go watch it? Nah, you know, I already saw it. With the song for me, it's usually because it almost makes it like white noise in a way. If there's this song by the Strophes called Hard to Explain, and uh, it's, it's hard to explain the song, but it, the, the, the way the song is such that if you play it on repeat, um, it sounds like it's just one continuous song, kind of, because of the pauses that it has it stops very abruptly at the end and it has a pause in the middle of it. So that way when you string it together, it sounds like it's just, I used to, I used to listen to that one for like nine hours. No way. Yeah. But if it's a, like I watch Kirby Enthusiasm over and over again. And when I'm watching that, I'm watching like, okay, well, wait, why was that funny? How did that scene go from a negative to a positive? How did, you know, what, what did that actor, what were the choices that that actor made to make that scene work so well? Or, oh, where are the actors that, maybe didn't do such a good job you know there's different details that you can that you can look at each time hmm. and so i just find it endlessly fascinating especially when i think that there's only it's only so often that you come across something that's a masterpiece to you do you think kirby like, enthusiasm is a masterpiece to me kirby enthusiasm is a, is a total masterpiece it's I, I i find it incredibly brilliant and i have so much respect and admiration for larry david and and everybody on the cast really and um, yeah, so I watched Crib Enthusiasm over and over again. 
All right. Well, I'm going to go back to, I think one of my major takeaways is like, I'm going to go back to the shows that I've been recording and then either re-record them or listen to them so that I can improve future shows. Do you listen to podcasts? Yeah. I listen to like Planet Money, How I Built This, sometimes Tim, sometimes Art of, I need to listen to Art of Charm a bit more. I need to check out, if I have to listen to one of your shows, which show should I listen to? Like what show has been your masterpiece? Well, the one that I worked the hardest on was the one about making your bed. Was it really? I worked on that one for like two months. What? Um, yeah. I had no idea. That was one. Have you, you haven't heard it. You haven't heard no, that. No, I'm going to download it. Okay. Well, I can tell you the story behind that episode. It, it, um, you can just download my phone here. Just tell me the story while I'm going to download it. So, you know, I've been asking people on the, on the show, do they make their bed or not? And so I decided, I mean, actually what was going on was as a strategy, I was, I was doing the interviews. I was kind of feeling like, all right, I'm doing interviews. I think that I'm getting better at interviewing, but like this show needs something like I need an inflection point. Like I need a zero to one. I need like, like the time that I did design for hackers and my list went from 1500 to 30,000. I need something like that. I need something like when I wrote the blog post and I got the book deal, like I need a, a breakthrough on this podcast. So I decided, well, the make your bed thing, I can take all those questions and, and then put them together into this narrative piece. And I can experiment with a different format of the show. So that way it's not just interviews. It's really like a story is being crafted together. And then since it's about making your bed, it will be a wider appeal. People will listen to the show. They'll hear people like Noah Kagan. They'll hear James Altucher. They'll hear, they'll hear, they'll hear Dan Ariely and Laura. And yeah, all yeah you've had really good people on your show. And, um, and they'll hear the show and then they'll go listen to all the rest of the, all the rest of the episodes. So that was my hope. And, uh, I got good feedback from people in the episodes, but it hasn't been like an explosive episode yet now. Okay. Why not? Uh, I have one hypothesis, which is a little bit of, um, could be some denial in it, which is, which is that audio content is just different from blog posts that, it's a very intimate medium. People don't, aren't sharing podcasts episodes so much on Twitter and saying, like, oh, you have to listen to this whole thing or, or Facebook. I think it's more of a, it's more of a thing that you talk, do word of mouth with your friends and talk about the podcasts that you listen to. Like that, I believe that that's how podcasts tend to spread. Um, but to get, to, to break that threshold, to get somebody to tell their friends about a podcast is, it's, it's a big threshold to break. So, and I have a theory that since this thing is about making your bed and people make their beds every day, that then it will, over time, start to sink into their brains as they make their bed every day. And actually, Jody Ettenberg, who's in the, in the, in the show, she tweeted at me, was like, hey, now I think of you every time I make my bed. What's up with that? What did you do? Uh, I'm like, oh, yes, my evil plan is working. And, you know, who, who do you, who, who's more intimate than the people that you share your bed with, right? So I guess one thing I wonder, do you, do you think you've gotten weirder over the years? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> no, it's not that I've gotten weirder. It's gotten, I've gotten more comfortable with being weird. Ooh. I've embraced my weirdness rather than it being a thing where it's like, ah, I don't feel like I fit in or maybe I should be more like this. It's more like, man, I got this weird thought that i can't get out of my head i'll always go do this or you know go with it yeah that, how did so you wait why that? did you ask that question have you gotten weirder over the years no i think i've gotten a little more tame over the years maybe i'm like accommodating others more than i used to 
I mean, I feel like I've gotten more tame as well. Are those things on two two ends of a of a spectrum? You know the phrase mutually exclusive? I'm always confused by that phrase. I'm like, what does that mean? It's like it's it's just like I'm like my brain processing gets to like the word mutually, then it's over. Imagine a Venn diagram with two circles. Yeah. And then make those two circles exclusive. Yeah. And now they're so they're not touching anymore. So now they're mutually exclusive. It's a call when they're together. But I agree, it's a very it's a very uh, it's a fucking weird one. Well, Han, so what is it? In- mutually inclusive? What's the one where the Venn diagram is like kind of mm. between two? Mutually compatible? No one ever talks about this shit. No, I think that's a good point though. Where like you, I do notice as I've gotten older, certain things I've given less fucks on. And I don't think I've tried to like acquiesce to other people. I just think I've gotten more calm. Like I'm not like everything doesn't have to be a battle where I used to be like, oh, you know, fuck you, you know, like a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think you started embracing it for yourself? That's a really good question. I think a couple of things happened. One was having my weirdness validated. That was huge, I think. Because, you know, say before, like, Design for Hackers, you know, the weird guy was, was in me and the weird guy would, would get out a little bit every once in a while. But I feel like both psychologically inside myself and from other people, I, that weirdness would be punished in a way. Whether it's like, oh, you know, this, this guy is weird. You know, if you're at a party or something, you say something and people think it's weird or something. But then when I became like a, a best-selling author, both I felt better about myself, for one. But then people started to see me differently. So like if I said something that was, that people might initially see as strange, they would give it more consideration and wait because, well... You know, he's done something that a lot of people would like to do. He must have, he must know something. It's interesting in the validation. Like you do something, you get a positive response and then it kind of helps you recognize that like, oh, it's not that bad. Like I think sometimes it's hard when you get no responses, but you still go with something. Like I always admire that. Like it, some, I, I hope in myself, but also in others where they're like, I just have this conviction and I don't really give a fuck what anybody else thinks i'm just gonna kind of stay with it and you know sometimes that fucks them over but sometimes that really serves the person have there has there been times when you felt that i was thinking about my first thought was like adam gilbert you know adam my body too yeah yeah i was talking this morning he's like (laughs) i was was talking about how one of my friends isn't feeling very well and adam's like yeah you know why because he's not working out (laughs) (laughs) and it was like he's like and I, I loved Adam and I, and I think, you know, a lot of his worldview is that like health and fitness and exercising creates everything. It's like the foundation that creates everything to be a better life. And I really admire that. And he, you know, wholeheartedly believe, like hundred percent believes that and hundred percent like lives that. And I, I really admire that. But do you don't, you don't think that you have that? I think that there's different, th- you know, it's funny. I think sometimes we, I don't know, at least for myself, like I think in absolute, like black and white binary one zero. Uh, but yeah, I think there's certain things I'm just like, I fully believe in this. I'm trying to think of things that I'm like, 100% believe like, oh yeah, that, like I just have a lot of conviction around. I don't know off the top of my head. I mean, there's probably a lot of stuff that you don't even, you take it for granted, right? Like you don't even realize that you have a lot of conviction about it because it's just the way that you do things. For example, how, like, how many times in your life have you felt like a conflict between what was going on in your, your brain and what you actually did. And you were like, ah, I don't know if I should do this. Uh, you know, like, have there been a lot of times when you felt uncertain in that way? I think there's, there's two things I was thinking about where like, 
I think there's things that I'm uncomfortable or nervous about. And then it's kind of like, okay, that's my compass. That's like something I need to go into, right? Like, so stand-up comedy tonight. I was mountain biking a few weeks ago. I was very scared to do a jump and I was like, fuck it, just go for it. And I did it. And I, I did, I did one of the jumps well, the other jump, I hurt myself, but I just kept doing it. I think the thing I think about sometimes is like attention, like even this podcast stuff Mm -hmm. where part of me really likes the idea of like spreading a message and having an audience. No, but I, I go, I think between my head and my heart or whatever kind of thing you want to do, it's like, sometimes I'm like, oh, I really want attention. And I really like when people like read my stuff and open it and comment and reply or whatever. Um, and then I think sometimes I like pull back from like, oh, well, I don't really want attention like that, right? Like I want attention for creating software or creating products more so than just like for, you know, talking or writing. And I, I don't know where that's come. I think it came from my, my Facebook days or some shit where like getting attention got punishment. And you, oh. you, you kind of look at that where other people just love, you know, promoting themselves and they're very, very happy doing that. And I think I spent the past few years kind of going back and forth on that. Well, I mean, I do think that it, I've thought about this um, a lot lately about being um, selective about where you take praise from, because I think a lot of people, especially if they're, you know, entrepreneur, they're starting their first blog or, or something, you know, who are they going to send it to for feedback? They're going to send it to their friends. And then their friends are going to say like, oh, this is pretty good. Or, I mean, have you ever had people be like, oh, hey, you know, Noah, do you listen to my podcast? And you're like, no. And then they're like, are their feelings are heard or something? Like, I, I feel like it comes pretty naturally to me, but I definitely try not to take anything like that personally because like people will say to me like, oh, hey, oh, I, I haven't bought your book or or I bought your book and I, you know, read a quarter of it and I didn't, I didn't continue reading. And they'll, they'll say it like, like this ashamed thing, like they owe me to buy my book or read my book. It's like, you're, if you're a friend of, you're a friend of mine, there's, there's no reason for you to buy my book. You don't just buy my book because you're my friend. You buy my book because, because you're interested in it. And I, I think friends are, friends are very valuable for support. But ultimately, you've got to make things that are useful for people who don't have any clue who you are and who don't care. Nobody Wants to Read Your Shit is a great book by, uh, by Stephen Pressfield. Is it's that just, really a book? Yeah, it is. A bo- and it's a great book. Like, I, it was one of those books where I heard the title and I was like, yeah, okay, I get it. Nobody Wants to Read Your Shit. But then I had a friend who kept telling me, like, you've got to read Nobody Wants to Read Your Shit. And then I read it and I'm like, and it was, it's very, very useful. Stephen Pressfield is talking about how he used to be in advertising. And one of the things you learn in advertising is nobody wants to read your shit. No matter what, there's an ad that is on a billboard or it comes up during a, a show or anything like the person who it's in front of does not want to see it. And that's very useful when it comes to, and you have to grab their attention and get them to want the thing that you're selling. And then he goes on to connect that to writing novels or writing screenplays or telling stories or, or even crafting a product or a business. Like, how do you get somebody to care? I mean, what's the answer? I mean, it's, it's complicated. Um, I think part of it is making, making uh, the audience member the hero and getting inside of their their hopes and fears and their pains and, and I, and grabbing that and, and showing them that you understand and um, making them uh, the, the hero of, of the story, like, like with a screenplay, you know, the, the, the hero's journey. I've been learning a lot about the hero's journey and about uh, of the, these, these structures that are, there are to stories that are in like 
every culture's mythology, all the stories that they use to talk about their gods and everything. And even, you know, Carl Jung and Sigmund Freud, when they were analyzing dreams, a lot of the dreams would follow this pattern. And it's fascinating. Once you see that, you, you see it everywhere. That there's a hero, the hero gets a call, the hero rejects the call, the hero then reluctantly accepts the call, meets these obstacles along the way. There might be uh, some sort of a, a guardian angel or somebody who helps the hero, and then the hero triumphs and the hero returns home. And that pattern is in kind of everything. It's the thing about like Breaking Bad, Walter White gets, gets uh, diagnosed with cancer. He starts to deal, he starts to manufacture meth. He, ends, he, just, he rejects the call over and over again. He rejects the call of cancer. He sits down with his family and he says, I'm not going to get treatment. This is my choice. I choose not to do it. He rejects that call. You know, the next morning he wakes up, he's like smelling his, his wife's like body butter in, in the bed and, and, you know, taking in the essences of life and goes down to the kitchen and his wife is washing the dishes and he embraces her and he says, I'll do it. You know, that's him accepting the call. And that's like just happens over and over again throughout the whole story. How has that been with your podcast? What's the journey that you've created? I think the, the journey is, uh, or at least the way that I would like for it to, to go, is, is that my listener is, is the hero of, of their own journey. And you have a call. Everybody receives a call. And that call is, and Stephen Pressfield talks about this, in, in, I, I believe, in uh, The War of Art, about that, uh, the resistance. You're familiar with the resistance, right? And anytime you sit down and do a creative project, you're going to get resist you're going to feel resistance like you're afraid to do it you're afraid to fail you you come up with some other more important thing to do anyway that's a conflict between your true self and your ego your ego is afraid of being damaged but your true self wants out and so when somebody receives a call when they when they discover that they have a talent or they some opportunity presents itself and then they reject that call it's because it's because of their, their ego is protecting them. They're, they're afraid of failure. They're afraid of what other people are going to say. They're you know, afraid that they're, they're going to be thought weird or they're going to embarrass themselves. And that's a constant struggle, at least for, I mean, I don't know if it is for a lot of people I've interviewed on this podcast, but it has been for me throughout the years is, is like constantly, all right, I've got this thought in my head. I can't stop fantasizing about doing this, but here's all the reasons not to do it. And then eventually breaking through time and time again. And I think that's important to me is, is, is helping people unlock that. Love their work. Love, love their work. Deep down, I wanted to move to Columbia. Deep down, I really just wanted to sit around, read books, have smart conversations with people and write about it all day. But I wasn't so sure I could make a living and get by doing that. But it's like what I wanted to do. You know, and it was like through analyzing that, that I had those breakthroughs. I made those moves. I broke, I, I doubled down on, on writing and the podcast and having conversations and constructing my worldview and doing a lot of reading. I doubled down on, oh, I went and moved to Columbia, really happy here. I can afford to make a little bit less money for a year or two because I'm living down here and it's cheaper. And, you know, once, once I had those breakthroughs and those th- things were in place and those gears started to, to fit together and things started to work. So that's the latest one for me. Do you have, um, do you have any? 
was thinking of the one I've had recently, what it was like a week or so ago. It, it's funny. I think a lot of it, it for me is impacted by how I'm feeling sometimes in the day. Like today I feel very sluggish, which I know saying the word kind of puts you in that place. Like Adam says, he never likes to say tired. I talked to him earlier today. He's like, mm. never say I'm tired because that would make me tired. But I know for myself, like I'm feeling a little off today. I think the last thing that I had kind of a breakthrough around was that uh, it's not settling if you're getting something you actually want. So it's not really settling if you're like, hey, I really want to be with this person. Then you're not settling down, which to me, I think I have a fear of. I think it's settling just seems like stopping and like restrictive. And so it started making me evaluate the things in my life that I actually wanted. And if I was like, do I, am I okay with this? Because basically I was talking with someone and it was like, well, do you really want that? Or are you just okay with it? Uh, and I, I think that can cause some problems on one side where it's like, well, I'm never really happy, never satisfied, but it's more about like, like my car, for instance, I got this like fancy car. Cause I was like, Oh, let me try getting a fancy car for once. And literally like the day I got it, I was like, I don't want this. This is not, I really want just like a shitty old small bitch car, which is like my thing. I've always had them. And I always like them. So I don't really need a the Honda CRX, the, uh, CRX, the, Del the mini, Soul. yeah, mini Cooper. And I, now I want to get a Miata. So uh, I kind of had this breakthrough of that, like, well, I know what I really want. And so I need to take steps to, to doing that or like where I live. I'm happy where I live. I'm definitely, I have a lot of great things. Life is good, but I, I have the ability to, to move to somewhere larger, a little bit more space. And so it's like, yeah, we'll take those steps and make that a reality. Uh, and I think the idea of not being okay with things that you don't have to be okay with was a big breakthrough for me. It's like, Hey, you're not okay with it. Go make it better. It could cause problems. I can, I can see where it's like, well, I'm never fully satisfied. And so you're always looking for the next and the next, but I don't think it's actually that it's more of like legitimately there's things that I think within reason for me, I can make better. And so I should go do them. It seems like if you're mindful about, about it, you can make changes and, and not just be on a, a novelty treadmill all the time. Yeah, well, I think once you start, I think my, my, concern is that once you start becoming okay with things, you're like, well, I'm okay with this. I'm okay with this. And then you just start becoming okay with fucking everything. Right. And I think that causes a problem where you're eventually just very unsatisfied because you've just become, your norm is just settling for whatever it is, not for what you actually want. I agree though. And also in some ways, one thing that I learned living here in Columbia, that's a nice part of this little experience or experiment is learning to, um, to be okay with things, to like be happy with, to, like I've, I've decided that I value contentment more than I value happiness. Um, Go on. I mean, and we've talked about this before when we were talking about change, change resistance, right? Like one of the things I've learned here because I can't get, if I, if I want to get something from Amazon, it's going to take two weeks. It's going to take 30% more. I can't get all the products that I want. I kind of want to limit my stuff so that I can move, I can move easy, easily if I want to. And so the result is that my brain will kind of like want to change a thing and be un unhappy with it. But then I'll learn like, just forget about it. Like, remember when we were talking about wearing, uh, like I got those shoes in the mail and they were like the wrong shade of gray. Like they were brownish gray. I wanted them to be like a, a cool gray and I was going to return them. And then I just told myself to shut up and just, and just dealt oh. with it. That's really hard though. I think I've at, I'm at a point where I'm like, no, I really want those fucking shoes. So I'm going to return them or like give them away and then get the other pair. But maybe it's a good experiment to be like, well, was it really so bad? Like I, this is, I had a stupid ass one like a week ago. I ordered a beer before the New Year's and it, it, it like came and there was like this much room at the top where it was empty. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I literally couldn't contain myself. You needed it. You, did you ask for more beer? 
Yes, I did. I just couldn't contain myself. I mean, that also makes me, makes me like you asked me like, what's conviction? Like, I know it's but like standing up for what's right. Like I paid for a full beer. I didn't pay for a three fourths beer. And so I can't not, not say something. I, I think that question, and there's, it's kind of like certain things in life, you know, where's the line between them. And I think each person has to determine their own where like, what's the line between like contentment and like desire or contentment and fulfillment, right? Contentment is like you wanted those shoes. Fulfillment could have been you wanted that really exact shade of shoe. But frankly, you're okay with dealing with it. I think that's kind of an interesting line to kind of like explore and play with. Well, I think you have to think about the cognitive cost of making the change versus the cognitive cost of, of living with it. Dude, I, I thought about that today. So here, tell me what you do. I, I was charging, I was filing against my property taxes. Mm-hmm. My property taxes. Property for, taxes. Oh. So I have a place and I have to put property taxes and I want to fight that they're too high. And like to save a thousand dollars, I'm just like the cognitive cost of like going and having evidence. I'm just like, I just don't care. But I also just don't want to start becoming in the attitude of, oh, well, I don't care about this. I'll just not care about anything. I mean, so much of uh, the economy runs off of people, <laughs> off of that, right? Of some element of, of, oh gosh, I just don't want to deal with it. Just forget it. They can keep the money. <laughs> That's kind of how like, you know, cable companies do so well. And like a lot of these like subscription companies that just kind of keep you going. You're like so much, like it's funny how people complain about SaaS companies. Like, Oh, canceling is so hard. I'm like, try canceling like a normal thing, like your cell phone or your cable. Like they basically make you have to apply to college to cancel. Yeah. You do have to write an essay. Oh, well, like, <laughs> my in- introduction, my thesis, my hypothesis. Uh, I just don't, it's like, I just wanted to not have cable anymore. I just use the internet. Yeah, in some ways it's better to not have some of that stuff in the first place. So maybe the challenge is just like for a week. So one thing I've been trying to experiment with my shows and this is kind of like a rough show. I don't know if we'll put it out there or we'll do this again. Or we'll I, do- I like this. I like what we're doing here. This is nice. Why is it nice? Because uh, we just started talking and you know, all the, I've got all these notes that I wrote out in this whole conversation I have planned and I'm like, oh, this is, this is good though. I think that we're having a, a good conversation. I, I, I think this is totally publishable. Yeah, I think that's kind of, well, that's where I've been going with shows where like, I think there's something there like, where a few of the shows I planned so much. And then like, I came to the show and I was like, here's the show. And there's all my notes with everything I've thought of. And it just felt so forced. And I'm not saying that's how everyone should do it. But like, for me, there's something there where like planning a little bit, a few questions and then coming back to just like a conversation of things that I'm curious about. And frankly, I think what, what someone asked me, what's the point of the show? The point of the show is for me to have fucking fun. That's good. Right. And if other people are enjoying listening to that, then good for them. And I think they will. But if I'm going and I have all these questions and it's forced and it's not natural and it's not something I'm looking forward to, and you're not going to look forward to everything, but looking forward to it for the most part, I don't think it's something I would continue. No, I don't yeah. think it's something I'd fully enjoy. I mean, for you, I mean, I think one thing I'm trying to do with each episode is have like a challenge at the end. So something that like I can do or the listeners can do or you can do. So I think the interesting challenge for this episode is everything for the next week from when this goes out, just be content with it. Like challenge yourself. I'm going to challenge myself to just be content. So like, like I'm doing comedy. It's not to say that you should just be a, a, a shitty person or like do less than your best, but like do what you can control and be content with the outcomes. And actually, I would add to that if I can, oh, please. That, that the fact that you can control it is the thing that gets you in trouble. Go is, on. That, is that living in the United States, when I was, li- I don't live in the United States, right? And now where I live, it's harder for me to, fix things and get things done because I'm a foreigner and also there's just not as many options and stuff in Colombia. But when you're living in the United States, you can have whatever you, you can, you can like order it on Amazon prime from the toilet or something 
and there you go, right? The, the problem, problem solves. Um, and because you have so much control, you, you have, you can meddle with so many little things and, and so, such a huge amount of the economy like runs off of the fact that you're going to have these neuroses and you're going to want to fix every little thing. I think that there's a, a cognitive cost to that, that if you, if you can, it, and I, I've tried to do it. And it's harder to do in the United States, if you, like, because if you have the control to do to to meddle with these things, then you know you're gonna want to do it. Your point is to be content. <laughs> My point is to be content. At least, I guess, at least make the equation in your brain of like, all right, how, what is this gonna cost me cognitively from a mental energy and mental and emotional energy standpoint to address this thing that is slightly less than ideal. I think at least ask that question and, and, and try to err on the side of content. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the show. First off, I really, really, really want you to take the challenge. The challenge for you is spend the next week not settling, but being content with things are. So take the content challenge. Don't let things bother you. I only record this intro twice, so I'm going to be content with it and let it go. Next up, if you enjoyed the episode, just go text a friend that you love them right now akshav or go text when you love them as well third if you haven't left a review of the podcast it really means a lot to me i'm not asking for any money i don't do any sponsorships i'm just looking for a review and maybe share the episode if you liked it lastly uh give me feedback i love making shows for you uh tweet me at noah kagan n-o-a-h-k-a-g-a-n i love hearing from you have a delightful day what's your favorite type of soup uh-huh.